0: Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. Today, we're going to talk about a couple of the free agents uh, who are still out there, and these three guys have a lot in common. They've had Tommy John surgeries. They have the qualifying offer. They are Alex Cobb, Lance Lynn, and Greg Holland, but also we're going to get to something that's really interesting from a StatCast point of view, which is in Arizona, the Diamondbacks are going to put a humidor in the chase field. And the, this gets into physics and stuff, which is actually uh, pretty exciting. But I think we're going to save that for the end. Very exciting. Very, very exciting. Um, and it's perfect for StatCast, which is, of course, powered by Amazon Web Services. We're going to start with Cobb, Alex Cobb, and Lance Lynn, who I find to be similar in a lot of ways, right? They're both 30 years old. They're technically entering you know different age seasons because of where they were born in 1987. Uh, right-handed pitchers decline the qualifying offer recently missed an entire season due to Tommy John surgery both unsigned and uh spurred on by uh, something you brought up about the qualifying offer we kind of dug into their markets and i found it to be pretty interesting in the sense that there may not be I guess let me back up for a second. They're good pitchers, right? They're good middle rotation pitchers. Pretty much every team, the exception of a few, could really use a guy like that. But when you actually dig deep into it because of their stats and their projections and the qualifying offer, there may only be like three or four teams in on these guys, right? And I think that's why, for their market at least, this is why it's so slow for them.
1: Yeah, I I think that the the big takeaway uh, for me of this offseason is that while the new qualifying offer system Was definitely seen as less punitive than the previous one because in the previous version you had to give up a first round pick if you signed a guy who received a qualifying offer, assuming it was outside the top ten. Under the current version, it's scaled based on whether or not you exceeded the revenue, whether you exceed the luxury tax, or there's three scales basically. There's three levels. There's did you did you exceed the luxury tax? Did you receive revenue sharing or did you not receive revenue sharing, right? And the teams that exceed the luxury tax have to pay a really steep price. It's a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick and a million dollars in international bonus pool money. So that's not quite as bad as a first-round pick, but it's a lot. So when you start from there, then you you start from there and then you kind of get, you go down and it makes you realize how few teams would actually be in on these guys. Yeah, I think that's what's really
0: interesting about it. As you said before, it was a first round pick unless you had a top 10 protected pick, but everybody else was treated equally and now it really is. If you are a big spender who probably would have been on any of these guys, now you are actually hurt by it a little bit more. Uh, So I think the first question is, are they good, right? And yes, the answer to that is yes. They've both been successful pitchers. But it gets a little interesting when you dig into the metrics. Now, uh, if we start with our favorite metric, expected weighted on base, that's our favorite Statcast tool for quality of contact and amount of contact. Last year, there were 173 starting pitchers who faced 250 batters. And if you look at Alex Cobb, he was 93rd with a 320 expected weighted on base. That's similar to Clayton Richard. Lance Lynn was a little better, 55th, with a 304 similar to Joe Biagini, but also similar to Sonny Gray. Uh, and I don't know, I feel like I might be a little bit the opposite of everybody else. I think I like Lynn better than I like Cobb. Uh, part of that is, despite the elbow injury, Lynn has generally been durable when he's been around, and uh, Cobb has had several injuries. Part of the reason that they aren't rated very well, highly here is because they just don't miss bats, and they've never really missed bats. If you look at strikeout percentage again, uh, now we're looking at of 125 starting pitchers who, who faced 100 guys. Uh, Alex Cobb, 17% strikeout rate. That was like 98th. Lance Lynn, 197 strikeout rate. That was 77th. These guys don't miss a ton of bats. Uh, and, and Cobb, in particular, did not limit hard contact. I think that was a problem for him. Interestingly enough, Lance Lynn had the lowest hard hit rate of all starting pitchers. I thought that was really cool. And if you look at this top five, Lynn, Kershaw, Mike Montgomery, Chase Anderson, and Alex Wood. That's a pretty good list to be a top of.
1: I think I, I know I'm guilty of this with Cobb and I think a lot of other people are guilty of this with Cobb is I think in my mind I sort of still view him in the in the sort of the 2013 version of him, 2014, right. when he was a not a elite, but I'd say, you know, like, you know, you could put him in like, oh, this guy looks like he's gonna be like a legit number two starter. You know, in two thousand thirteen he had a twenty three percent strikeout rate and then it was 22 percent in 2014 then he missed the season and then last year in 2016 it was 15 and last year was 17 so that's a big that's a big drop off so while he was he was never an elite strikeout pitcher but he was a guy who struck out struck people out and now that is no longer, yeah. He,
0: he used to have this really great split finger change kind of thing that was awesome, uh, and it's kind of gone. He really stopped using it last year. Now, I don't know if that was because it was his first full year back from injury or because he thinks that will help him stay healthier, uh, but he used to be a high ground ball guy. He used to get a 54 55 ground ball rate. Last year is down to 48 and the strikeouts were down. It's not a great combination, and it is true, you know, he had a, a reasonable enough era 366 um but i don't think anyone actually believes that and that's why if you look at the projections they're kind of all over the place on these guys steamer has them both at 1.5 Wins above replacement for next year, where two is average, so slightly below average. I think I'm a little bit more with the Zips, which says uh, 2.5 and 2.8, so slightly above average. Pachota from Baseball Prospectus hates these guys. 0.4 for Alex Cobb and 0.8 for Lance Lynn. I I completely understand the uh, trepidation there. That feels a little low to me. But the point being that there is nowhere you're going to look and say these guys are elite number one aces. And this gets back to the qualifying offer thing, right? For for a top of the line superstar, you know, you don't really care about this so much, but are you going to lose two picks and a million dollars from your pool and potentially for some of these teams uh, go over the cap again next year to add like a number four starter? I, I think that's where the issue is going to be here. Yeah.
1: As an aside, I also think this is probably what the, um, what was a sort of an unspoken part of the difference between Darvish and Arietta on the uh, free agent market, something that probably we didn't talk about enough is that Darvish did not have a qualifying offer attached to him and Arietta did. So I think in a, in a Optimistic. If you were a Arietta fan, you might say he is as good or better than Darvish. But I think realistically, I think the baseball consensus is Darvish is a better pitcher. He's a little younger, and then you throw in the qualifying offer. Like, there's no question that Darvish was was a much more appealing free agent than Arietta was.
0: I also wonder if Arietta would have taken the contract that Darvish ultimately accepted. And I, I feel like maybe not. So that's we'll, we'll that's see what we'll he ends
1: up getting. But, anyway, but also going back to the to the the guys that are still out there, you know, there's also a lot of other pitchers. Available. Jaime Garcia, Jeremy Helkson, uh Jason Vargas. Like, so if I'm looking at the, if even if I'm looking in this, this end of the free agent pool, like uh, to me, Cobb and Lynn aren't so much better than those guys that I feel compelled to really, to really, um, to, to sign them. Now, granted, it's only those, uh, Five teams that went over the luxury tax. Why don't we kind of go through that and that can kind of put right. it put in the tiers and get to the, the actual suitors? I'm actually calling it six teams. Although, as you said, five teams went over
0: the, the tax last year Yankees, Dodgers, Nationals, Giants, and Tigers. Tigers are rebuilding. No one expects them to be in here. Uh, but if you look at the other teams, Yankees, Dodgers, Nationals, and Giants, you could argue that they could all use some starting pitching depth. I'm not sure that either of these guys are better than, let's say, like Alex Wood or Kenta Maeda or, uh, you know, Gio Gonzalez. They're probably all spot in the three or four. Uh, or maybe even five for some of these teams. But again, a big penalty. And the other team I'm throwing in there who did not go over last year, but already looks like they're well over this year, is the Red Sox. Uh, they will probably go even further over if they ever end up getting J.D. Martinez, but my expectation is not that they would do that for one of these pitchers. So that's six teams right there, five of whom are big spenders. If you're in the market and you don't have the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers right there, uh, that's generally a problem for, for pushing interest along. It's
1: hard to drive up. The, it's essentially hard to drive up the price if none of those teams are... are yeah,
0: there. exactly right. And a couple of teams actually don't really need a starting pitcher. The Cubs clearly The Cubs They just got Darvish and Chatwood. They have a full five. Uh, The Astros got Garrett Cole. They're fine. The Indians are fine. Uh, There there are a couple other teams. I think those first three are obvious. I would definitely argue the Rockies could probably use a starting pitcher, but they seem very happy with the young guys they have. Uh, The Diamondbacks, you know... Is one of these guys better than, like, Taiwan Walker? Maybe. Is it worth the effort? Probably not. And while I would say the Angels could definitely use another starter, they're already talking about a six-man
1: rotation with what they have. So they don't really seem like they're going to go and do this. One interesting thing about the Rockies is that they have already paid the qualifying offer penalty for uh, Wade Davis. So theoretically, it's less of a quote-unquote poison pill for them to sign one of these guys because they would only have to give up, I think, one more pick as a result. Like they you know, granted they would basically be punting their right, draft. Right. But it's like they've already taken a big bite out of their draft. Well, I mean they weren't they weren't a they did go to luxury tax, so but still they basically have to they would only have to give up uh I guess, you know, probably I think uh a third round pick now as opposed to a second round pick. For signing a qualifying offer, guy, so they in some ways have maybe have a little more incentive to find a find some common ground with Lynn or Kyle.
0: I, I agree with you, and yet I still don't see them actually. Nor do I. Yeah. Uh, so that's already twelve teams we mentioned, and then there's you know teams who are rebuilding who just aren't going to go over uh, and and lose uh, a qualifying off or sign a qualifying offer guy. Now for these teams who didn't go over the cap last year, they would lose five hundred thousand dollars of cap space in their second highest pick. Uh, this is another half dozen teams here, like the White Sox, the Padres, the Tigers, the Reds. These teams are probably not going to be in the mix and so that kind of left me with really like nine teams that I thought were interested five of those probably should be but they just don't seem to be uh like you know the the Phillies and the A's are kind of on the low end of this but they they can afford it and they've got young untested rotations they just don't seem like they're going to jump in on this right now I I feel like they probably should but maybe for Arrieta for the Phillies is where I would
1: go well the Phillies are are in the same boat as the Rockies they've already paid the penalty for Santana for, for Santana so maybe they are a team now that I think about it that Okay, now actually, I, I, I think that the, to me, the Phillies are one of the definitely, oh, one. definitely one of the Arietta teams. To me, the Phillies and the Nationals at this point are probably the to me are the most likely Arietta teams. And I'm starting to think that now if the Phillies don't get Arietta, they suddenly become one of the teams here.
0: I, I agree with you. They should be. I, I don't know that that's actually going to happen, but I'm fully on board with the Phillies. Uh, and then there's a couple other teams who who are contenders this year, the Mets, the Mariners, and the Rangers. They could all use starting rotation depth. They're all insisting they're fine with what they have. I'm not sure how much I believe it, but that's what the reports say. You know, the Mets have like eight different starting pitchers with experience. I don't know that I trust any of them outside of DeGrom to be healthy and effective at the same time.
1: <laughs> well, it was pretty funny yesterday. Uh, Anthony DeComo did a story uh, – for uh, for our side, our Mets reporter and basically the lead was 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 Sandy Alderson in Mets camp saying i, I don't think we need another starting pitcher and then like lower down in the story John Rico their assistant GM was on MLB Network Radio saying yeah we're definitely monitoring the market we're, right. we could we could use another starting pitcher yeah. I mean, to me the Mets are a team that i th- I could very easily see them getting a Helixson or a Vargas or a uh, Jaime Garcia that, I, that to I me kind of like Vargas there and I don't even like Jason Vargas, but I, it, I think he's a good fit there. Uh, briefly
0: wasn't met like six years ago. <laughs> that's wow, wow that's absolutely true. um but
1: and, but, this... but but um to go back a second, they are one of those teams along with the Rangers who would they they fall in that middle tier where they don't receive revenue sharing and they did not go over the luxury tax so they would lose a second round pick and five hundred thousand
0: right. And then we have the three teams who I think are probably the best bet. The Twins, who have been very clear they need a starter even before even Santana got hurt. The Brewers, obviously, are in the mix. And the Blue Jays, they've added a ton of outfielders, but they are very thin in rotation depth. So there are three main starters left, Arietta, Coplin, and then obviously the other guys you mentioned. Those are the three main teams. And it seems like everybody's just kind of waiting because they know there's not 15 teams in the bidding here.
1: Yeah, and one of the other, like, second-tier arms literally just just came off the board. Andrew Kashner, two-year deal with the Orioles.
0: Wow, that might have been the most predictable thing that's ever happened, I think. That happened while we we're on the air because I didn't know this until Matt just said it. Uh, Andrew Kashner had, what, like a 340 ERA last year that was wildly unsupported by any metrics because he struck out something like four and a half per nine, I think,
1: right? All right, so let's, uh, let's I think we should make some predictions. We'll say Arietta, Cobb, and Lynn, the three qualifying offer pitchers, starting pitchers. Where do they end up? Uh,
0: Cobb to the Milwaukee, Arietta to the Nationals. And Lynn, um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the Mets are gonna do it. You think the Mets are gonna go Lynn.
1: Yeah.
0: I, it's a bad take, I know,
1: but <laughs> you put me
0: on the spot here. Uh, I don't think the Blue Jays are gonna go get
1: Lynn. No, so. I, th- I think to me, to me, Lynn and the Twins is the Twins are like they're not gonna they're, their starting rotation is still, um, it's still not great. I mean, what did I, it, I say? Cobb to the Brewers. Did I say that? Yeah, Cobb to the oh, Brewers. Oh,
0: then I, sorry. Then yes, Lynn to the Twins. That's what I
1: meant. Right now, the Twins' rotation is Irvin Santana who's gonna be out to start the season, yeah. Jose Barrios, Kyle Gibson. Ala (laughs) Bederem, Adabel Mejia, Aaron Slagers, Phil Hughes, like they're it's not great. They have they have some payroll room. They were in on Darvish. I think they made an aggressive offer. They're just they're kind of waiting this out because they know they can get. they, They basically, I'm sure they've, I'm sure they've basically told these agents. Give us get go get an offer and we'll you know we'll beat it essentially. <laughs> I,
0: I got all distracted by uh cashner of the Orioles, which is like the most Orioles thing to do. There's another guy just like this, but Greg Holland, uh, in relief. But quickly before we move on, we want to take a second to tell you about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. Spring training is rolling, which means it's time to think fantasy baseball. Yahoo is the best experience in the game, and you don't have to take our word for it because the Fantasy Sports Trade Association has rated Yahoo Fantasy Baseball number one for five years in a row. If you want the stats and analysis to run your team like a big league GM or you want to draft, trade, and manage your team right from your phone, download the Yahoo Fantasy app today and create or join a league. It's so easy it's ridiculous. Download the app or sign up at yahoo.com fantasybaseball. It's the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. Doesn't Greg Holland feel like the relief version of Alex Cobb and, and Lance Lynn? Yeah. Like for so many different ways, he has had recent Tommy John surgery, is in his early 30s, he just turned 32, declined a qualifying offer, uh, seems to want a whole lot more than is out there. He reportedly, now we don't know if this is true, but reportedly turned down a uh, the deal that Wade Davis got from Colorado, three years and $52 million. So, you know, he has been very, very good in the past, uh, but it just, it seems like what teams are looking for is what he's going to do, not necessarily what he has done. Last year was maybe the definition of up and down. Last year, after missing all of 2016 with Tommy John's surgery, uh, he had a fantastic first half, a 162 ERA, a 235 weighted on base against. Second half, 638 ERA, 320 weighted on base against. His velocity of 93.8 miles an hour is still good, but it is down from his peak of 96 to 97. Now, I don't want to say that he's not a useful pitcher, because I believe that he is. If you look at expected weighted on base, 254 relievers faced 100 guys. His was 50th. It's tied to Carl Edwards, Kirby Yates, Justin Wilson. Those are guys we like, uh, you know. But actually, I think 50th kind of makes sense, right? I think he's a good reliever, but I don't look at him as this elite ace that he was several years ago.
1: No, I mean, look. I mean, look back at his numbers: 2013 strikeout rate, forty percent, literally forty percent. Last year, below thirty percent. So like, it's it's a different. It's above average. It's above average, but it's way down. I mean, he was at one point like one of the top five relievers, and now he's just. He's nothing, he's nothing close to that, and, you know, I think what happened last year, and I know this happened for me and happened, I think, for a lot of people, is he came back, was great for the first two months, and it, people sort of made the mental – filed him away in their brains, like, oh, Greg Holland, elite reliever, is back. And then at the end of the year, you look at his numbers, and it's like, oh, well –
0: you know what, You know why people still say that though. He led the National League, tied for the lead in the National League with 41 saves, and for some people, that's still a big deal. I just don't think teams value that anymore. They're not going to go. You know, he might be being pitched as the National League save leader, but teams don't care about that.
1: And I think he actually probably, in the minds of people, some people benefited from pitching for the Rockies. For people were like, yeah, well, his ERA is he you know, ended up at like three six one, but like he played in Colorado. Like that's 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 not so bad for Colorado. A closer, a couple bad games, it could, you could sort of like, you know. uh, try to explain away if you if you're a great Collin fan you could easily explain away you know his his season stats and kind of look at the good but the velocity i mean the, down below 94 you know history of arm injury the qualifying offer the yeah. fact that a lot of relievers are off the board and like a lot of teams have already spent a lot of money on relief pitchers you can see why like you know, where's, where's he going to go? Yeah, take take everything we said about the qualifying offer
0: for Cobb and Lynn and apply it here. You know, Holland is not going to be the guy who some team is willing to go push over the cap for him, and I think the team you've heard the most about is the Cardinals, right? Because they have Luke Gregerson as a, their closer, uh, and they've got some interesting names there. Brett Cecil, I like Tyler Lyons, I really kind of like Dominic Leone, who they got from Toronto in the Randall Gritchick deal, uh, and then Bud Norris, who... I guess I have to go on a brief tangent for a second here the Cubs signed you Darvish the other day and then like the next day the Cardinals signed Bud Norris and all the headlines were this is their response to you Darvish is getting Bud Norris and that's the kind of thing that just drives me crazy like the idea that they didn't start thinking about Bud Norris until the Cubs actually signed you Darvish <laughs> like, they haven't been thinking about this for months if they'd signed Bud Norris to a one-year deal on like December 4th and then eight weeks later here comes you Darvish nobody's making this connection These things have literally nothing to do with one another. That, that's my rant for the day, I guess.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I will admit to some uh, East Coast bias on Bud Norris. I definitely did not realize that he had a lot of success in a closer role. With the, uh, I knew he had, had served in the role, but the Angels were sort of like not really a factor last year. And uh, my fantasy league doesn't have saves, so I wasn't like paying that close attention to like to guys who are you know they're designated saves accumulator, but like. He was pretty good. He was was pretty good. He's a great example of the kind of guy. I think we've talked about this with
0: like Anthony Swarzak before, maybe even Andrew Miller. Don't ever look at the career numbers for these guys. It does not matter what Bud Norris did as a mediocre starter for, where was he, the Astros like six years ago on those terrible—it doesn't matter. Now he's in relief, and he basically started throwing his cut fastball uh, way more than he ever did, and it was actually a really good pitch. And so our friend Jeff Sullivan kind of wrote a comparison that by signing— Bud Norris, the Cardinals kind of did sign Greg Holland. I'm not sure I'm fully buying this, but it was interesting. If you look at their numbers last year, strikeout rate is almost identical, walk rate is almost identical, uh, fastball velocity is is pretty close. Actually, a little faster for Bud Norris. Now I will say expected weighted on base does not buy this. Greg Holland was 268, Bud Norris was 310. So I'm not going to say that they got the same pitcher. Uh, but I thought it was interesting. You know, the name value is not the same. The career numbers are not the same. But based on what happened last year. You know, I, I almost can talk myself into wanting Norris for one year rather than everything that comes with Holland.
1: I mean, it certainly, I think, it, if, if nothing else, it, it helps their leverage with Holland. Yeah. Uh, because they they can sort of say, well, we got Gregerson, we have Norris. Uh, I still think Alex Ray is going to end up saving games for them, even though they're saying not. You know, he's their was their top pitching prospect. He's going to be out for the, at least the first month of the season recovering from Tommy John surgery. The Cardinals have a history of bringing guys along from – from bullpen trying to transition guys from bullpen to starting. It worked with Adam Wainwright. Did not really work with Trevor Rosenthal, but it's a thing that they have definitely shown a willingness to do. And granted, while it didn't work with Rosenthal, they still got good years of relief out of him, even if he never became a good starting pitcher. So um, to me, that's where it's going to end up. But um, well, now I'm going to put you on the spot. Where where does Craig Holland end up? Um, I think he's going to end up with the Cardinals, and I think he's going to end up on a really modest deal. I think I, I we were talking about this uh, – before we are recording reminds me of when the, the first year of the qualifying offer, when team, when players didn't really know how it was going to play out and urban Santana uh, declined it and then ended up signing with the Braves for essentially what the qualifying offer was. There was like, I think it was like 14 million that year it was like one for 14. I, I think he re-signed with, the, I think he actually was it the actually the Braves. Uh, yes, I think it was the brace. But anyway, by the way, to me, this is what it feels like, and I think it's going to be something similar. But I don't think he's going to even get the qual. I don't think he's going to get. You think he's going to get under the qualifier. I don't think he's going to like. Go, I mean, maybe he'll interesting. Get, maybe he'll get like two for twenty instead, yeah. instead of like one for ten. But that, that feels like Mike Mustakis' future too. I think. I just don't see him. Mar- I just don't really see a market for the guy. And you know, there's a lot of te- the one place where teams were aggressive this offseason season was going out and getting relievers. So you know, you saw the you you know, for better words, you saw the Rockies go out and get Davis and Brian Shaw. And uh, was they resigned McGee or was they, it... they resigned McGee? And yeah. then you saw the Mets go out and get Swarzak. You saw uh, there's other names I'm 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 forgetting. Like Tommy Hunter, Tommy got Hunter. Got yeah. So it's like teams were aggressive. So I don't think they're they're that inclined to go out. Those teams that maybe were were were, were going for. Um, I mean, obviously. Uh, uh Montgomery or uh, not Montgomery I'm confusing him with the guy that went to the uh the other lefty that went to the uh Rangers who now is gonna is gonna cl- oh gonna Mike start Mi- for them. Mike minor Mike minor though he's gonna yeah. it might start for them, but you know a lot of these relievers teams that teams spent Brandon morrow yeah dollars are spent, so I don't think that there's a big appetite, maybe someone else will see a We'll see an opportunity here, but he's again—he's a qualifying offer guy. So, so you're saying the Cardinals? I'm going to go. I'm going to say I have absolutely no feel for this whatsoever. But
0: I like the idea of him going to one of the teams that needs a pitcher and has already signed qualifying offer guys. So, the Phillies—I could see it. They've already signed Hunter, and they traded for or uh, re-signed Pat Nishik and they have Hector Neris. They actually have a pretty interesting bullpen. yet Holland, and that's something. But how about the Brewers? They signed Lorenzo Cain, who was a qualifying offer guy. They obviously need a starter. Uh, they had a pretty interesting bullpen. Why not make it even more interesting? I'm not sure any of this is going to actually happen, but I think the point is these guys are stuck, and I'm not sure how they get out of this, and I bet you some of these guys are really wishing they'd taken that qualifying offer. Let's get to the fun part. So the Arizona— i mean it wasn't fun until now? Yeah, Well, you know what I mean. The Arizona Diamondbacks have announced they are officially going to add a humidor— for 2018 in Chase Field Um, and I'm just going to recycle a little bit what we had when we talked about Comerica Park being a hitters park recently Uh, when I looked at all this stuff that showed how everybody was hitting well in Detroit and I kept saying well there's only two or three parks that were better than that Colorado obviously and Arizona was on these lists and what I had done is I compared the home field and road field performance of the same teams last year Uh, the second largest home field run scored advantage last year was the Diamondbacks in Arizona where they outscored themselves on the road by 102 runs uh, they outslugged themselves on the road by 94, po- or, excuse me, 94 points, um, and if you look at weighted on base, they were plus 51 points at home, all second to Colorado. So obviously, it's a huge hitter's park and has been for quite some time. So they're going to put in the humidor, which the Rockies had done in 2002. Uh, how do humidors work? They prevent the balls from drying out so quickly, in this case due to low humidity. More water retained means the ball is slightly heavier, a little less bouncy, maybe a little less exit velocity off the bat. Uh, and then also nearly impossible to measure pitchers say it's easier to grip the ball so there's that as well uh our our diamondbacks.com reporter steve gilbert uh, we he wrote about this the other day and he pointed out that major league baseball guidelines say that baseball should be stored at 70 degrees with about 50 percent humidity obviously not possible in the desert in the middle of the summer so that's what the humidor is going to do uh and, and I, I found this interesting you know Coors field has had a humidor right and i think some people are like well big deal Coors field still plays like it's on the moon it's still easy to hit home run there but if you look at some of the numbers,
1: uh, it's still a hitter's park, obviously. Yeah, people, these young fans today don't remember Coors Field of oh, the late man. 1990s. For, I mean,
0: like the whole Andres Galarraga, Vinny Castilla, like that. those, there was a year where Dante Bichette hit like, I don't know, 42 home runs and had a negative <laughs> wins above replacement, which I thought was hilarious. Um, so I'm kind of uh, looking at some numbers that uh, some of our friends have posted here. Jeff Sullivan looked at this and said, the five years before the humidor at Coors, At home, runs per game were 53% above league average, home runs per plate appearance was 45% above average. Those are crazy numbers. The five years after the humidor, runs per game dropped from 53% above average to 30%. Home runs dropped from 45% to 23%. Uh, Dr. Alan Nathan, who's been a guest on this show, who is an actual baseball physicist, he looked at this and he said in the seven seasons of the, hum- of the pre-humidor Coors Field, there were 3.2 home runs per game at Coors. And then on Rockies Road games, uh, 1.9 home runs per game after the humidor for the next nine seasons it dropped at home from 3.2 home runs a game to 2.4 home runs a game and road stayed steady so yes it's still an insane hitters park but as you said before that it was a wild amusement park of a baseball field
1: it's just uh in 1999 Dante Bichette hit 298 354 541 with 34 home runs 895 OPS OPS plus of 102
0: Yes, right. And basically, with, league average with negative defensive value, yeah. almost certainly. So, so that you,
1: was that was basically a league when you were just for park. Yeah, that was essentially a league average line.
0: That, the late '90s course Field was uh, that was something, <laughs> man. Uh, and so, Dr. Al Nathan actually, when this idea first came up last year, he looked at Statcast data. He looked at Statcast data from 2015 and 2016, and his takeaway at the time, and I'm quoting here, I'm very comfortable saying that with the humidor running at 50% and 70 degrees Fahrenheit, there will be a reduction. In home run production at Chase by 25 to 50%, which is enormous. I mean, that is a lot of home runs. Uh, And other people have kind of looked at this in the same way. I looked at uh, Derek Cardi, for example, who's a a fantasy writer. He actually said it might be more extreme than you think because if you're using the exact same 50% humidity and 70 degrees as you use at Coors, it could have a larger impact at Chase because the humidity is higher at Coors in the first place by, by basically twice as much. And Coors is also five times higher elevation. Than Chase's, so I think this could be really interesting. Um, it's not. I, I'm not going to buy into it's going to make Chase a pitcher's park. I've seen some people say that. That seems extreme to me. Oh, this is like the number two overall hitter's park in baseball. If this drops to league average, that's something. If this drops to like AT and T Park, I don't know. That seems like a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really mostly concerned about my fantasy team, right? I last year in what I thought was a shrewd move, I I made a uh, a trade in I'm in a keeper league to get, you know, uh Jake Lamb for $2, thinking that it'd be cheap power for the following season. But Jake Lamb, I was expecting Chase Field to be the same thing. And now if Jake Lamb's going to be hitting 10 fewer homers. I'm not sure I still want to keep him.
0: I looked at the hitters who had the most home runs hit in Arizona last year. Paul Goldschmidt had 20. Jake Lamb had 16. J.D. Martinez somehow had 16. He was there for like three weeks, which is crazy. Uh, A.J. Pollock had nine. Chris Owings, eight. And David Peralta, also eight. This is like the least scientific thing in the world. But let's say you cut those down by, you know, a third. While you're missing a, a handful of home runs from each of these guys here. I thought the pitching side is more interesting. The most home runs allowed by a pitcher last year in Arizona. Zach Ranke 15. Robbie Ray, 13. Taiwan Walker, 11. Uh, Zach Godley, 9. Now, Godley's kind of a ground ball pitcher in the first place. So I don't know how much that affects him did you know that Robbie Ray had the highest hard hit rate of all starting pitchers in baseball last year? 132 guys faced 100 batters, and our hard hit rate is defined as 95 miles an hour of X velocity or higher. He had 43.3% of his batted balls defined as being hard hit, which is terrible. The guys below him, like Chris Tillman, was awful last year. Jesse Chavez, Greg Holland, again, there he is. Uh, Sean Menea, that is not a list you want to be on. So if the humidor helps him reduce that hard hit rate and he keeps his strikeout rate. Uh, he could actually be even
1: better than when it was last year when he was very, very good last year. Robbie Ray was excellent last year. And it's, it's, that's fascinating to me because Robbie Ray, it's weird to think of a player who misses bats as often as he does, but also gets hits hard. It's so basically like it shows that he makes a lot of mistakes because when he's on, like he's impossible to square up, or at least it seems to be the naked eye. And he struck it, you know, he struck out like a. 12 batters per night innings last year.
0: I remember a year ago at this time, we were looking back at Zach Greinke's disappointing 2016 debut. And we said, he's going to be a lot better in 2017. And there's a bunch of reasons why. They've added uh, much better uh, framing catchers. Their outfield is finally healthy. They're going to have, you know, a, a much better defense. He's going to be better. And so is Robbie Ray. And they were. They were both much better. And now we're sitting here at this time saying, and they're changing the ballpark in a way that should probably suit the pitchers. So that's actually, it's it's amazing to think not that they're doing this just to aid these two guys, but all these external factors keep helping uh zach Greinke and Robbie Ray. And they were maybe two of the top 10 starting pitchers in baseball last year as it
1: was. So yeah, so I mean the the scope of like the the, the Diamondbacks, I'm not sure this is actually based on the way their team is built, I'm not sure it actually affects them that much in terms of like to me this feels like they're still a pretty well-balanced team. They've got, you know, good high-end starting pitching. They've got some, you know, some star-quality players, Goldschmidt, but so I don't necessarily think this really affects I don't to me they, they still seem i project them to be the, just the same in terms of wins but uh you tell me if you disagree if you think this is going to if this is bad for them or good for them or neutral or what it's hard to tell because it'll be bad for the hitters
0: and good for the pitchers, so it might balance out in that way. But I, I like the idea that individually, maybe Ray and Granke uh, could be better. You're right; I don't think this is going to make a huge difference unless you happen to be a Jake Lamb fantasy owner. I have, what I have not done is actually looked in depth at each player and to see what the impact.
1: But it will certainly. I mean, it probably has it. It probably has more fantasy implications than anything because you have to reevaluate. You have to go in the season, being like, "Well, I've got to reevaluate re- Diamondbacks players," but having no idea what kind of adjustment you need to make because it's 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 uncharted territory
0: yeah i guess that's true
1: uh that's our show for this
0: week this is the mlb.com statcast podcast thanks for listening we'll catch you next week